Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, sunshines. You are listening to the Entrepreneur After Hours podcast. I am your host, Christine Campbell Rappin. My mission is to really help entrepreneurs make a difference and navigate the messy world of startup, growth, relaunch, and plot twists. Today, we're going to be diving deep with one of our guests who's going to help shed light on the best concepts and strategies to help you fast track your business. Today's special guest is Robert White. He has got a fascinating story behind his journey. He's pioneered personal transformational growth in the U.S. and Asia. And get this, he has helped over 1 million graduates from company he's founded and led. Today, you find him as a speaker, leader, trainer, best-selling author, business consultant, and executive mentor. He was raised in poverty and had much physical and emotional abuse. He dropped out of college after one semester as a result of having his first of three heart attacks. He attended one of the early potential training events on human training, rather, and it helped him get out of his way to success. He went on to a spectacular career accomplishment and at least one spectacular failure. Retired at age 46, boy, you got me on that line, catch me there, to his home in Aspen with his wife, the love of his life, and lost it all, the business, the wife, and learned a lot from those mostly unpleasant experiences. Now, he primarily works as a mentor to executives committing to living extraordinary lives. He has spent much of his time over in Asia and in 2020 returned back to the USA he has spoken to audiences from around the world from 15 to 8,500, and he has been presenting to associations, corporations, nonprofit rotaries everywhere from Aspen, Colorado to Singapore. He is a best-selling author of Living an Extraordinary Life, which has been translated into traditional Chinese, simplified Chinese, and of course, English. A very, very warm welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Christine. You know, listening to that introduction, it's one of those like, I can't wait to hear what I have to say introduction. <laughs> you know, Me either. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm blessed to receive very nice introductions these days. Uh, part of it is my rapidly increasing age, I think, and some kind of respect for my gray hair. But uh, the most special thing about me is I'm a pretty average person. I, uh, I'm undisciplined in some ways. I struggle with my weight. I, uh, I've been remarkably good at getting married. I've been remarkably bad at staying married. You know, I, I'm an average kind of person, uh, who was blessed with some educational experiences years ago and that I've reinforced over the years and uh, that have helped me with, uh, the, you know, that, that kind of resume that I do have, you know, and I, I don't want to run away from it. it I, I have accomplished a few things, uh, but uh, I'm a really average guy. Well, you know what I love about what you've just said is twofold. I'm an average human who has done some extraordinary things. And I love the honesty of the journey being up and down because I always say, you know, what makes a great leader? What makes a great entrepreneur? I think it often comes down to self-leadership. One of the most important tenements of, of anything is the first person you must lead is yourself. So I want to take us back a little bit to the beginning because you have had a, a really eclectic story so far, but I want to know right back at the beginning, did you know that you would write your own story as an entrepreneur? I didn't know that. I knew that I was operating for, for many years 
and there's some real strength in this kind of operating system and a big weakness, and that is uh, I'll never be poor again. That's what motivated me. That's what drove me. And I found out pretty early in my life that I could, uh, I could meet that goal more quickly and more powerfully with my own business than I could working for someone else. Uh, I mean, I did get my start in the training business working for four years for one of the pioneers in the human potential movement, uh, Alexander Everett. Uh, I ran his company, uh, which was the company that sponsored the original training that I went through. I ended up being president of that company and running the business side of the business. So I did work for someone else for four years. Tremendous amount of freedom, though, as I look back on it, almost entrepreneurial. And uh, uh, and it gave me a grounding in the, the training business as a business. I think it's true. You know, there, there's a comment that I know lit, a, lit, a, lit my imagination, which was, you know, somebody will always pay you to build their dreams. Why don't you take the chance to build your own? And there is courage in that statement. And while many of us, you know, spin the yarn of, wow, that sounds awesome. Very few actually do take the crusading path of saying, you know, what putting themselves out onto the stage of judgment, of having to drive their engine. Because when you are an entrepreneur, nobody carries the dream for you. Talk to me a little bit about some of the big pieces of advice. You've come up with a human potential great mentor. Did they give you some advice and tips that you heeded? On your journey? Well, both heated and unheated, of course. Uh, you know, in in the third of the four years with Mind Dynamics, I consented to go through the trainer training to actually work on the content side of the business. Uh, by that time, we were very, very successful, and I could take that two weeks off. And uh, one of the things that Alexander did in the cover letter for the student manual for these uh rookie instructors, including me, was that he said uh, basically that, that the, the training is proven, and it was, that if you delivered it exactly the way that he delivered it and that it was scripted, you would get great results. And then he went on to say, you still can bring your personality to it, but it's proven. It's a methodology that's proven. That proved to be an excellent piece of advice for me that I did need. I got the wisdom of that somehow, that bring your personality to something that works and make it unique, make it your own, but that under that is a foundation of proven methodology. Uh, and I've seen that show up in a lot of different areas of life in building my businesses. Yeah, there's one great hack that every you know entrepreneur learns, and that is that Yes, while it's a solo journey, it's not necessarily true that you must reinvent the wheel. And and seeking broadly proven success can be a way to accelerate growth. So as you you know work through your early time here, um, what were your measures of success? Because somebody's saying this is a proven method. You're driven by this. I will never be poor again. What did you measure your success on in the early days? You know, I've been, I think I've been blessed in that approval is not a big item for me. Uh, operating without approval, uh, I find that a lot of people are, are captured by needing other people's approval and therefore withholding their own power, their own gift. And so I, somehow I've been blessed to not, not have that need. 
So I had high standards for myself around results. And one of the things that we've taught for many, many years is you can have reasons and stories or you can have results. You can't have both. And that, in fact, reasons and stories are what get in the way of results. I had brunch this morning with a, a longtime friend. And one of, one of the things we talked about was that something that showed up for me 30 years ago is still very present. And that is, if you want to see the key to Starbucks business model, go to, go to a Starbucks at 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon and see how many salesmen are there avoiding sales calls. <laughs> you know, but when they show up next week at the sales meeting, they'll have a story about why those results aren't what they needed to be or even what they promised. So I, I think uh, that having that kind of baseline attitude for myself, that I can either have a story about why I don't have what I want, or I can have the result. But if I've got the story, I'm not getting the result. And it, in fact, is going to prevent me from creating the result, from shifting the attitudes, habits, and behaviors that produce results. Yeah, there's truth in the numbers don't lie. And that is on every element of reflection you can cast when you are an entrepreneur. And I think there there is a great, the irony you always make me laugh now when I'm at Starbucks, uh, two o'clock in the afternoon person, I'm going to always go, hmm, it's Robert in my head. But I, I'm curious, you know, their results are what, you know, was, was certainly a success measure for you. When you are working with executives in your current capacity, the results, feature heavily in the conversation, or is it a given that that is something you're great at simply because you're at the executive level? Uh, most of the executives that I work with are incredibly gifted people. They are smart. They work hard. Uh, they uh, are driven, uh, actually, not just work hard, they're driven toward results. Quite often, they get in their own way with their maniacal attention to results. They actually carry that piece too far. And learning to listen, learning to be in relationship with a wider group of people, and this is particularly true in hiring young people today. They're looking for meaning and purpose for their lives. And it would be easy for an executive to say, well, that's not my job. You know, my job is to drive this whole thing toward results. Uh, actually, today, where there's real competition for the best and the brightest, uh, I think they're paying attention to culture. They're actually making a few phone calls. They're going online to find out what the corporate culture is in the companies that are trying to hire them. And again, we're talking about the top 10%, you know, the people that everybody wants. Well, you better have a culture that is life-affirming. You better have positive values and be living them. You better be clear about your purpose and your vision because that's what uh, particularly younger people are looking for. But you can reinvigorate even an old dog like me if you get them excited enough about a compelling vision. So that's that's what, uh, you know, my point of view is that the only role that is unique to a chief executive is the creation, the, uh, the communication, and the maintenance of a commonly held purpose, vision, and values. That's their only job that's unique to them. Everything else should be delegated. You know, they should be driving results themselves. They they should be paying attention to the culture. You know, it's credited to Peter Drucker and, and a lot of other people, but truly culture eats strategy for breakfast. 
And uh, I didn't come up with that. You know, maybe Drucker, maybe someone else, but it's absolutely true. A strong culture is better than a, a strategy book uh, in, on the shelf behind your desk. And it's interesting because right now, certainly, you know, I know you're you're based in the U.S. and and there is a really interesting, unfortunate story that's that's talked a lot about a guy who created an amazing culture and now is in some hot water uh, relating to, to some out of office activities. The interesting thing I'm curious because you've spent a lot of time abroad, and that's going to likely have shaped your your viewpoint, your lens. As you've come back into the U.S. in, in the last couple of years, how do you think the health is? of the culture in the corporate world right now? I think executives today are facing all of the, the, the usual problems with the product and service and, and profit margins and you know, all of that stuff. Uh, following their plan, getting enough financing, getting the right people. You know, all those things have always been true as a challenge for, for senior executives. The piece that I came back from Asia with and I've spent 23 years of my working life in Japan, Hong Kong, and mainland China. So I've been there a lot. And then I've traveled a lot because I own several businesses spread around Asia. We have 15 training centers in Asia. And uh, the thing that I learned is that the, the, the formula is it's one of these things that's simple and not easy. The formula is B plus do equals half. Whatever you want to have. Uh, requires a state of being and it requires some action, some doing. The Western emphasis is on the doing. The Eastern emphasis is on the being. Who are you being as a leader? Are you approachable or are you kind of closed off in your own little uh, hut? You know, are you um, a good listener or are you just the, the guy giving instructions all the time? Are you able to really have a high degree of empathy while simultaneously being ego-driven. Those are qualities that I find in the great leaders. They, uh, they do have a big ego, but they manage it and they put it out there. But also they're empathic. They can sense, they can feel what's going on in their company. They can, you know, my favorite question with a CEO when I'm first getting to know them is, how's the energy around here? You know, they, you couldn't ask a question more vague and I think there's no question that's more important. How is energy around here? Because that's really the job of the CEO today is to manage energy. I couldn't agree more. And so I'm curious. Um, it's a very, I think, accurate statement of the doing versus being. And I know uh, working with my own coach, that's that's a very topical conversation right now. We need to be more, do less, be more, do less. Be more is always the, this this current, very focused energy level that we're working on just in my own storyline. But how do we create emerging leaders in the West, in the U.S., that don't grapple with the gap between doing and being? What's your thought in that? How do we bridge it? How do we create it? Well, our our model is uh, in three steps. One is completing your past. Two, second part is learning to better tell the truth about current reality. And then the third one is to actually choose your future as, as opposed to having it just be an outgrowth of your past, of your patterns, your current patterns, your current beliefs. But that piece about completing the past is particularly important for already successful people. There's no way that 
already successful people didn't hit those bumps in the road along the way where they have some regret or even guilt or shame, or they have past success that they're still living off of. So they drag that past with them in every interaction that they have. And to the degree that and they wouldn't be in their role unless they had successfully uh, moved past it, pigeonholed it. Uh, I'm trying to think of the Bill Clinton thing, uh, compartmentalized it. Hmm. You know, that, if they weren't good at that, they wouldn't have progressed in their career. There's just no way. But those items are still there, kind of like undigested food mm-hmm. and uh, in their subconscious. And if they wonder why they don't get along with certain people, they wonder why they make a certain kind of mistake repeatedly. Uh, they wonder why there's a lack of joy and, and fulfillment in their lives. It's usually because of hanging on to things from the past. So really superbly effective people do some work to let go of that past, to shift that energy. And then secondly, to learn to better tell the truth about their current reality. We uh, Successful people all operate from stories. They've got a story about what's happening. You know, it's the economy. That's why we're struggling with sales. It's, uh, we can't get the right people in the right place and the technology is moving too fast or, you know, all kinds of, again, reasons and stories. Well, there's no clients out there. (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) And and, uh, so uh, the Buddhists use a different expression that I like a lot. They call it developing a selfless regard for reality. Really being able to see your reality uh, in a way that's uh, where there's no blame, there's no shame, there's no judgment. It's just what's so. Uh, developing that ability, the really successful people are good at that. And if you're just living in your story and it has not much of a connection to reality, an example is I have a client who's a senior executive with a Fortune 100 company, and they have a big diversity campaign. Uh, they also have a, a sponsorship with a major sports team. I'm trying to be as vague as I can here. <laughs> not by... And so they've invited me to be in the corporate box several times and even to sit on the floor, right? Well, guess who I meet if I go to the corporate box or I sit on the floor? I meet other senior executives of that company. This is a company that says that what they're really about is is searching for and recognizing people of color, people of a different uh, religion, different ethnicity. They're not invited to those games. You know, and when I pointed that out to them, I, they were shocked. And they're just absolutely shocked. It was amazing. You know, they're, they, they're, they're uh, the other Zen expression is that fish don't describe water very well. You know, whatever you're swimming in, you don't see it, right? And then finally, if you've done some work on letting go of your that any negative energy or even super positive energy from your past, if you are getting better at telling the truth about reality, that clears a space for a compelling vision, one that is freely chosen. It's not about what you did either personally or as an organization in the past. That, you know, that famous line, I'm sure you run into it in your work, uh, well, it's the way things are done around here. Well, almost always the way you think. That's, that might have been good 10 years ago. Boy, there have been a lot of changes in the last 10 years. So those are the, that's kind of the model that I work off of is with, it, with senior executives is helping them and their company 
uh, let go of the past, tell the truth about their current reality, and then come together toward a compelling vision. You're interesting because you mentioned, you know, obviously just that you, that you were working with somebody who came from a sports world. In the sports world, you know, or even in the high political stakes game, you know, having mentors, coaches is an accepted practice. You don't get to be elite at that high performing level, an Olympian or anything else without having coaches in your corner. And I love your perspective because I think there's a really visceral reaction to a coach in North America. Um, and that prevents some people from maybe turning on the light bulb to what you're suggesting is a way to exponentially grow. And I don't mean just economically for the business. I mean, as a human being, because we go back to that being state. So I'm curious, what, what is, what's the backstory here? What's the barrier that we're seeing against, you know, that executive spacing? How about looking at the issue from another lens, which often a coach can come to the table with. Uh, you know, uh, Christine, I have two adopted children uh, that were special needs kids that had greatly benefited from great uh, therapists. And, uh, and our family has therefore benefited from that. So really good therapist is, a, is somebody I admire. I, I ain't one, but I, I, I know this about the human condition. We all have beliefs, conscious and unconscious beliefs, about other people, about work, about our country, about principles, about faith, about, about everything. We don't have to think through every single decision we make because we have this operating system called our belief system, some of it conscious, some of it unconscious. And one of the things about a belief is you go, if you have it, you go looking for evidence that you're right about it. So if you're asking about a barrier with whether it's a senior executive or somebody in middle management, quite often they've got some pretty strong beliefs, including dysfunctional ones, and they go looking for evidence that they're right about it. Uh, one of the things I've noticed in working with executive teams is to listen for the conversation about the next level of people. If the, if the conversation is positive, uplifting, uh, challenging, that's one thing. If they're nitpicking about the per performance of those people that are reporting to them, they're doomed. And most of the time, they don't even realize they're doing it. Mm -hmm. Again, they've got beliefs. Those beliefs have been challenged. That, that belief has now they're looking for evidence. And once they find out something negative about somebody, it's almost like little kids and that expression piling on. Die is cast. <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, it's, it, it probably goes back to cavemen and women. You know, <laughs> I have that feeling. Like there is that, that leaning, that tendency. Uh, what everyone is looking for today, from my point of view, is meaning. One third of their life minimum is work. Well, if that has little or no meaning, boy, that's a big missing piece in life. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I, I if, when I interview CEOs, I'll ask them about how's the energy around your, and I'll ask them how clear are people about focus, on your focus, on your alignment, on your commitment. Oh, it's great. And, you know, look at this coffee cup and look at this banner on the wall and uh, look at this campaign we've got going. I'd say, okay. Then I, I, either I or 
people on my team go out and interview the top 20 people. Amazing. Talking about the business, about focus, align, com and commitment, they're all over the map. And then a few years ago, we started adding one question. What do you do when you're not working? And Christine, people come alive. They come alive. Oh, I'm I'm assistant coach of my daughter's soccer team, and we're 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 competing for the championship this year. Oh, I've got this model train layout, and I've got this new locomotives. You should see it. Stuff like that, you know. And I'm thinking, what I want to enable here is a culture where they're as excited about their workplace, which is again more than one third of their life generally. I want them to be as excited about that as they are their new locomotive for the train set, you know? Uh, and it's possible. And there are many examples of it. Uh, I think it's interesting. You know you, yeah, you, you say that because we talk about the difference between, you know, are you living for a life you're escaping to the weekend? And that's certainly been, you know, work 50 years, get a gold watch. So that's certainly, you know, my my parents, the boomer generation, I'm right in the middle. And I've got, you know, young young children that are now in the working world past the education and into the working world and and, and what, what we're asking for as a measure of success which is where we started has shifted and it's true i said you know you you want to contribute yeah and people said yeah. what makes you great in, in in business i said be a good human being start there and i'm a pretty i'm a serious guy my my family says robert was born in a three-piece suit you know that i've been i've been that all my life but I've also I I'm having a lot more fun recently, and but I find myself reacting with a little twinge when people talk about Friday, you know, instead of Friday, or oh, it's Monday. I've never felt that way, I personally, but I see it in some still in some organizations. Boy, if you really had an organization where you knew that it had, it was making a real impact, a positive impact on people. Uh, wouldn't you want to be there even more? <laughs> wouldn't Friday be pointing? <laughs> you couldn't wait for me to come. Uh, so that's, I work, that's one of the things I work with uh, executives about is creating that kind of culture. So it's interesting because you've, you've been through some hurdles. You know, the success measures have likely changed along the journey. And I know when we were chatting before we came on t tonight, it's the conversation of, you know, I feel very blessed when I look back and that bio always kind of strikes me anew as, wow, is that my story? I'm curious, you know, as you as you look at the chapter you start, you know, every day right now in this phase of life that you're in, what has you so excited? Because I would say your energy shows that. But tell me what it is. Can you articulate it? What what gets you going? I uh, this is uh, not something I can prove. Just something I sense. I think there's a return to looking for for basic principles that have been around for thousands of years. I think there's a almost a like there's some kind of a cycle and we're coming back to what's really important mm -hmm. uh, in my life, in the life of people that I'm privileged to lead. And how can, how can I, uh, it's really letting go of a victim story and the, the victim story being that the government's going to take care of everything. The company's going to take care of everything that some mysterious force, the moon, the stars are going to take care of everything yeah. and say, I am the source of my own success. I'm the source of my own happiness. And I'm the source of the space that I create for the people around me. And in looking to do that, you can look to timeless principles uh, around honesty, around expressing yourself, around 
being in partnership with people instead of always being competitive. It goes on and on like that. It's nothing, nothing new. When I was promoting my book, uh, I found, you know, the PR company sends a copy of the book out to these radio stations, TV stations, and uh, uh, media outlets, and somebody reads it. I, I discovered the interviewer almost never reads the book, but some grunt leads the, reads the book, and they come up with five questions, and one of them is always snarky, you know? <laughs> it's like a rule. They must learn that in journalism class. And uh, I traveled for six months with the late John Denver, a close personal friend and my partner in creating a sustainable future. And uh, so I was on a lot of interviews where I sat in with John. We'd get the interview because of him. They they might ask me one question in a, in a half an hour interview. You know, I'm just kind of a lump sitting there. But I observed how John handled snarky questions, and I learned a lot, frankly, from him. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he was always so gracious and a big smile and all that. Chris, when we'd get out in the limo, he'd explode about the snarky questions. <laughs> but he never did it on the air. And I learned a lot from that. But I was on a radio interview. They asked a snarky question, and it was something like, well, what, what makes your book any different than other personal development books? Isn't it just derivative? And I don't know, Christine, I don't know if I was tired. I, I don't know. But I, I heard myself say, you know that where you can see the words? Slow motion. I do. And you, you wish you could bring them back. I said, well, my book is derivative. There's only two original personal development books, The Holy Bible and Think and Grow Rich. Uh, and the moment I said it, I, the whole purpose I'm here is to sell books. <laughs> and but I said, you know, I said what I said. You know, I would add man's search for meaning today. I might add the seven habits book, the, the, the Simon Sinek's book about why today. I think is one of the better books. I think my book is pretty good, and it is a bestseller. But those lessons have been around for thousands of years. Lao Tzu and Confucius and and Jesus Christ and Muhammad and. All these people that have been studying the human condition forever, you know, they and I sense that people are coming back to those timeless principles. And uh, that gives me a lot of hope and a lot of, frankly. I love it. I agree. I, I think there is a shift. And, and it's been a great pleasure to hear someone who's been through the adversity, looks back with grace, humility, fun laughter at, oh, wow, I can't believe I did that, because that actually is, is what great leaders should be. And so I'm, I'm very grateful for getting to spend some time with you. This is a wrap, guys. This is the amazing evolution of the entrepreneurial journey. This is the Evolvepreneur After Hour Show. And I would like to say, Robert White, thank you so much for being our guest today. Guys, if you have been enjoying this episode, I would ask you, please give a five-star review and, and consider coming to be here on the hot seat, share your story, invite a friend, and be sure to subscribe and watch our future episodes. Until next time, as an entrepreneur, remember, your dreams are calling. It is time to take action, belief, and focus on the being, not just the doing. We will see you at our next episode.